welcome to our episode, Uplifting Global Talents. I'm your host, Serap Zal. I'm extremely excited today because we have a globally recognized thought leader and HR guru on our show, Dave Ulrich. Welcome, Dave. Serap, delighted to join you. What a privilege. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. It's an honor to have you on our show today. And Dave is known as the father of HR, and I'm sure many of you know him very well. Uh, but let me summarize quickly about him for those who don't know. Uh, Dave is known for his contributions in the field of HR, people management, and academics. He's a professor at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan in the US. But his work goes beyond uh, academia as a partner of the RBL Group, a consulting firm focused on helping organizations and leaders deliver value through effective leadership and HR strategies. He's also a famous author and speaker. Dave has published over 200 articles, book chapters, and many books around, I think, more, maybe more than 30 books, which I read most of them. Uh, his work has redefined the organizations uh, in terms of leveraging HR uh, and deliver value to customers and communities. He has been ranked as the number one management educator and guru by Business Week. And Dave, looking at all these accomplishments you have achieved in the lifetime, I wonder what initially sparked your interest in HR and how your journey led you to become one of the pioneers in HR and leadership. Oh, you are very kind. You make me tired when you say all that. <laughs> I'll go through a story some have heard. I was in college. I was going to go to law school. I took a course decades ago, because I'm obviously old, in what was called organizational behavior. Mm -hmm. The professor said, there is nothing required. And I thought, that's a great course. But he said, I want you to look at the organizations where you live, where you work, where you worship, and write about them. How do they affect your life? What makes an organization successful? He captivated. Mm -hmm. I started writing. So every week I wrote a 10 to 15 page paper. Sometimes I cheated. I was an English major, so I was reading Beowulf. And I wrote a paper, yeah. Beowulf, the ideal organization man. Uh, I turned it into English and I turned, I didn't cheat, but I turned it into his course as well. The English professor said, that's weird. And he said, that's great. Do another one. So paradise lost and power in, in Milton's great work, Shakespeare. And I just wrote. And at the end of the term, he said, what are you doing going to law school? You love organizations. And I do. I love to look at organizations, how they work, where I live, where I work, where I worship, where I play. They shape our lives in amazing ways. The, the clothes we wear, uh, someone I know loves purple and she loves abstractions. So an organization has put together artwork that reflects her values. And we mm -hmm. see that everywhere we are. So for yeah. the last 40 years, 30 years, I've been obsessed with organizations. My wife, who's a very good psychologist, says I have OCD. And she says, that's organization compulsive disorder, <laughs> not obsessive compulsive. <laughs> I, like I go it. into an organization and I try to reorganize it. I try to redesign it. At dinner, I say to the manager of the restaurant, I can improve your productivity. And my wife says, don't do that again. <laughs> so I yeah. just enjoy organizations. And uh, I was an English major. I enjoy writing. I have a, an addiction in some ways to hypergraphy is what it's called, to writing. So I write a lot, books. I've been writing lately on LinkedIn yes. every week. You have many and, followers, yes. And a lot of followers. And, and for me, it's not the followers. It's the ability to share ideas. Yeah. And, and when COVID hit and we couldn't travel, it was harder to share ideas. And LinkedIn became a great platform for just sharing ideas and making comments. So that's what got me to where I am. 
Very simple yeah. story. Yeah, oh, that's great. And also, I mean, you, I'm sure you are very, very busy and you have lots of the researches going on. You are speaking in many events. So, uh, and you are producing lots of different insights. And uh, also, I see on LinkedIn that you are interacting a lot, not only publishing things, but you are making comments, you are answering the questions. And that's very, very, um, that the thing that I appreciate a lot. Well, thank you for noticing because one of my mentors was named Carl Weick. He's a genius in this field. He's one of the great thought leaders. Mm -hmm. He was an academic academic. And I said, Carl, what makes you so thoughtful? He said, every day I spend two or three hours in the morning reading the journals. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I love the academic journals, doctor. You know the journals from your research, but sometimes they're dense. I spend an hour to a day with LinkedIn comments. Because yeah. for me, I don't care where the comments come from. I don't care about geography. I don't care about title. I don't care about who the person is. I almost never look that up. What I care about is, do you have a good idea? Mm -hmm. And how does the idea inform my thinking? And so I comment. Uh, somebody said, who makes all those comments? And it's me, uh, <laughs> typing mistakes, logical errors. Not AI but I find it a, a great way to yeah. engage. This morning, I just engaged somebody on the discussion of culture. Who um, and I was in the middle of writing my response when our when our podcast started. I'll finish it afterwards. But he had some great ideas about Microsoft and their culture, and it helped me understand my views better. So I love to learn. That's yeah, a passion that's, of mine. That's and, great, and never ends as well. No, that's good. And Dave, at the beginning of our shows, each day, each time, uh, we ask a few personal questions to get to know our guest speakers better at the personal level. Uh, we call it a quick warm-up session. Is that okay for you as well? Absolutely. Great. Uh, can you name three things about yourself beyond your professional roles? Like, are there any hobbies or interests that you are passionate about? You bet. I'll name two especially. My father, I'm a father of three children and 10 grandchildren and the husband of one wife. And oh. so I'm very passionate about family. We happen to be uh, spending this month on the ocean, we're near in, in the United States, and our children were just here. That's partly why I have a very bad <laughs> hair day. Um, they left yeah. yesterday, and five of our grandchildren, we have 10. And I enjoy, my wife and I like each other, which is scary. We love spending a month together uh, by ourselves. <laughs> and I have strong faith. I'll just mention that. I mm -hmm. am very committed to amazing, I happen to be Christian. I'm a, I've been reading lately about Jesus, and it's just, whether you're Christian or Muslim or Buddhist, this man had a set of ideas mm -hmm. that has changed lives of thousands, billions of people. And, and his Incredible. ideas are remarkable, remarkable ideas. Whether or not you believe everything about him in Christianity, you can't deny as a, as a great teacher, as a rabbi, as a master. Yeah. I realize, I've been realizing lately how much my life has been shaped by what that man 2,000 years ago taught. So yeah. that's timeless a little personal advices, side. advices, right? Yeah, it's in, it's really incredible. It's timeless. I mean, yeah. love your enemies. Do good to them yes. that hurt you. Serve. <laughs> the, the servant will be the master. Uh, one of the things he taught that we may get into today is the concept of paradox. Mm. The servant will be the master. Love your enemies. Yeah. He found that in paradox, you learn and grow. And yeah. so I find that as part of my uh, faith journey. So faith and family would be two. Yes, yeah. I follow Rumi too. Uh, I mean, that's also another uh, that's very, great. very impactful yeah, leader. Uh, same and, thing. I mean, the, the great thinkers, uh, yes, Buddha, Muhammad, the great thinkers had such profound ideas that yeah. shape who we, who we are. 
thousands yes. of years later. I just marvel at that. And also, I want to ask, like, as an author yourself, what is your favorite book that has shaped your perspective on HR leadership? Or well, life you're going to be shocked now, given what I just said. I'm going to say the Bible. Uh, yes. I think mm -hmm. that, and I bet you've never heard that from any guest on your show. <laughs> but look at the timeless principles, the principle yes. of paradox, yeah. the principle of service, the principle of governance in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So I'm going to say some of those, and I could have, the Quran, I could have used some of those books, but I think some of those books are just timeless. So, yeah. and, and right. now in our field, I don't look at a book, I look at authors. And so I have a half dozen authors who, who write, usually two or three books, I look at Jeff Pfeffer, I look at Ed Lawler, I look at Linda Grattan, and I look mm -hmm. at people, and now I've offended people because I've left them out, but I look at <laughs> authors, and I love to read the stream of their thinking. When I read novels, I love to pick an author and then go back to the first novel she or he wrote and then read the stream of novels to follow how they see the world. And yeah. I think the same is true of some of the, uh, there's just so many good thinkers in this field. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we are we are lucky actually <laughs> to have them oh, in Ram our Sharan, life. Ram Sharan, Michael Beer. I mean, just the yeah. list goes on. Brene Brown. I mean, the list goes on and on Ed and Brands, on. Ed Grant's the one of oh, them that I follow. Absolutely. Yeah. Who would be some of the authors you follow? Yeah, Adam Grant for sure. Brene Brown, I follow every book that she wrote and also the TED Talks and she has also show on Netflix and I've, yep, I'm absolutely yep. following Adam on. Grant is a great example. Yes. I mean, he's written now five or six books and yeah, he has you ideas. Yeah, Take is my favorite as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's fun with him, like people like Adam Grant. He happened to go to the University of Michigan where I teach. I didn't teach him, but ah, he goes, yes. went, that you see the evolution of his thinking. Clay Christensen, who's passed away, C.K. Prahalad, one of my great, yeah. my great mentor. Mm. Um, and Gary Hamill, their, their thinking evolves. And, and those are the kind of idea, I call them my idea partners, who uh, yeah. I really yeah. love to follow. It's, yeah, it enriches us for sure. And also when taking notes, which one do you prefer, Dave? Uh, pen and paper or digital tools? <laughs> Both. I'm, uh, I have pen on paper already from our call. So <laughs> I, uh, if you're showing that. Uh, but I also love digital because I can keep track quickly. Yes, uh, I do yeah. both. Yeah, we need both. Yeah. Thank you for sharing those personal insights, Dave. Uh, and it's always fascinating to learn more about the person behind the professional scenes. Uh, so now let's move to the core discussion of our chat today. And I'm curious to explore a little bit about the perspectives, your perspectives on age critical HR topics. And especially over the years, uh, the role of HR has significantly changed with the technology, with the globalization. And how do you see the role of HR professionals changing uh, right now, especially from recruitment perspective and in the coming years, what are the things changing uh, in our field? Thank you for asking. I love to see, as I just said, the evolution of authors. So I read their early books yeah. and I love, I get frustrated in our field sometimes when people don't know that evolution and they end up repackaging ideas mm -hmm. without building on them. So HR evolution, I think we began with uh, more personnel terms and conditions of work. We went in number two, HR practices, staffing, training, development, appraisal, compensation. Three, human capital, which has been a focus the last number of years. I think we're moving now to what I'm calling human capability. And, and let me capture that with two or three messages. Number one, HR is not about HR. It's not about the policies, the practices, or human capital about people. It's about helping a company succeed in the marketplace. It's about building value for stakeholders. On LinkedIn, again, I saw somebody posted recently 40 KPIs for HR. And oh, they yes. said, what do you think? And I said, you know, that's for me not as interesting as which of those 40 KPIs 
will help drive value for our customer, for our investor. That HR is less about the HR work and more about the value we create outside in Mm -hmm. with customer, with investor. That's one trend that I see is that HR is less about HR than about creating value in the marketplace. And that's investor, customer. A second trend is HR is not just about talent. I think that's the third trend I mentioned, human capital. Do we hire people? Do we train people? We can talk about that. But I think it's now about talent, leadership, and organization. And people go, well, that's obvious. But it's interesting. I hear people, I'm the people function. Well, it's not just about people. It's about how they work as a team. It's about how their Mm -hmm. leaders guide them. And so for me, we are trying dramatically to create human capability, which is the term I use, which includes talent. If I were having you hold up your hands, my fingers are talent. My -hmm. fist is organization. Leadership is the combination. And we're about Mm -hmm. building those three things in a way that makes difference. Mm -hmm. So number one, HR outside in, creating value in the marketplace. In fact, we're posting today on LinkedIn a focus on outside in, but it really frames the agenda. When I do seminars and workshops, you do them all the time. It's fascinating to say to people, what's the biggest challenge in your job today? (laughs) Talent acquisition, culture, leadership. And my answer is put behind that two words. So that, so that, what's the outcome of that challenge? And the outcome should be our customers will have a better experience. Our investors will increase their confidence. Our communities will see us as a better community citizen. So that question leads me to outside in. And that's a talent issue. Talent Mm -hmm. acquisition. We love to do competency work. Skill-based organization. What are the competencies we have? How do we get the right people? I would love to see competency work through the eyes of the customer or the Mm -hmm. investor. If an investor looked at our open position, let's say a a vice president of marketing or AI, what would an investor look at that would give her or him more confidence in our future success? Wow, that's an interesting question. This isn't just looking at competencies. Let me have 20 who succeeded, 20 who didn't. That's the competency model of 15, 20, 30 years ago. In fact, that's what I think skill-based organizations are doing. It's not always as helpful. I think we should say to the investor, to the customer, to the community leaders, what is it you want to see in our good people? And Mm -hmm. that standard then helps us set the expectation of what that position might look like. That's the first principle outside Mm -hmm. in. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great point. And also in the recruitment process, as many leaders are joining the the process to select the right profile uh, from HR to other functions, etc., everyone should have a really good understanding about what customers want and expect. So with that lenses, they should ask questions. I love it. Right? I love the profile Mm because I think a lot of times our profiles are built because of what we think, not what the customer, not what we hope the customer thinks. And then you go the next step. Where do you source talent? Why not ask customers? <laughs> you've, you've given, and you don't give them choice. They don't get to pick who we hire. That's our job. But include them in screening. Here's the final three candidates. Do you have any comments? Now, again, I don't think we give up the rights of decision-making to a customer or of an course. investor. It would be cool to go to an investor who owns a piece of our stock or who follows our asset, loans us money, a bank, and say, here's three candidates for this critical job. Do you have any observations? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't, again, I don't want to give away the decision right. That's ours yes. as, a, yeah, as leaders. Of course. 
But but involving them a, to the process, right? Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I'm just, and I say that and people go, huh. And I go, it seems obvious, but we're not doing it enough. Mm -hmm. I'm sure uh, the HR professionals will think about that, how to include customers and especially customer facing roles, at least, you know, like could absolutely. be a good start. Well, we, for example, we do 360s. Everybody's done 360s mm -hmm. for 50 years. Why not do a 720 for the customer facing role? A mm -hmm. 720 is get data from those outside the company. We've done that with some CEOs. A CEO, a lot of a CEO's job is for him or her to represent the firm to outside markets, to the investment community, to customers, to the to the regulatory community. Let's get their perceptions of how well yeah. the CEO is living up to the profile that you just described. Are there any specific skills and competencies that you see that the HR uh, is needed for the future of HR? One of the things that's also good to know, if I had a third, I had faith and family, it would be data, evidence. <laughs> I love to learn and I love evidence. My, when I started my PhD program, I shouldn't confess this, I found the courses somewhat boring. I know you have a PhD as well. So I started teaching. And, and I taught 30 classes in Los Angeles in three different schools to learn the material. And then I got into statistics. My PhD, I took, and you know, in every PhD in business, in psychology and sociology and economics, there's usually a two to four course series on statistics. I took all of those. And, and I really enjoy statistics. In fact, I, I haven't shared this very much. A colleague and I, his name was Roger Bolas. He was a TA in statistics. We started a firm applied quantitative development and <laughs> and i did statistics for dissertations and then when i started teaching at the university i thought i don't want to just be seen as a statistician so why do i say all that we have studied hr competencies uh, we started in 1988 we've done eight rounds of data with over 120,000 people using a 360 <laughs> the methodology that i hope we're evolving to say mm -hmm. what set of skills does she or he need to create value it's not a description, it's a prediction. Mm -hmm. And we just did a big study and we found there were five that were really critical at delivering results. One, and what's interesting, we always had nouns for these, credible activist. Mm -hmm. Now we have yeah. verbs, accelerating business results, advancing human capability, mobilizing information, fostering collaboration. <laughs> and the one in the middle was simplifying complexity using taxonomy that's mm. the science that i studied how do you simplify this incredibly complex world yeah i think that's continuing i think ai is going to force that mobilizing information even more ai is clearly i hear there's a great study being done i hope people will join the study that you and others yeah. move ai forward but ai is a form of information i mean mm -hmm. at its base that's what ai is and how do we use that access to information to make better decisions i think we'll see much more of that yeah, I guess so. And also, by, by the way, when we talk about people analytics and uh, data, and I really want to mention about David Green's uh, also great work and posts on LinkedIn, and uh, I, I really been following him uh, very closely, and uh, they have very good platform as well, my HR features. So I want to mention about that for our let me, listeners. Let me do a too. shout out to David and, and his yeah. team. They are just superb. I great have work. a privilege of joining them in person last fall in, in the United oh, States, great. and they had in the room 50 people analytics uh, colleagues who represented 4.4 million employees. Wow. And you begin yeah. to think about the scale and scope of analytics. And David and his team are just absolutely superb. David and Ian do a phenomenal job.
a phenomenal yeah. job. As Uplift, we will have one uh, hosting uh, webinar about people analytics in February. We'll be posting about that soon on LinkedIn. Uh, so I want to ask also a little bit about your one of your recent articles again on LinkedIn uh, about overcoming the no-do gap, which was very interesting. Uh, so can you mention here as well, how can HR leaders close this gap to create business impact effectively? You know, it's an interesting concept. Um, let me go back in history because I think history is a is a anchor for what we do. There was a leader named Jack Welch. Many people have heard of him. He was a General Electric. Mm-hmm. He had done a lot to change the company. He had uh, fixed, sell, or close businesses, strategic reinvention, buy 200 businesses, sell 200. He had done a lot about financial discipline. You have to make money. Uh, you have to be profitable. And again, people have different views of him. But he said, how do we build the discipline of change? How do we make sure it happens? So he retained two people, myself and a a brilliant colleague, one of the best in the world named Steve Kerr, who is another of my idea mentors. Mm -hmm. And he said, what do you know about change? So Steve and I went out and spent 60 days studying change. We went in to see Mr. Welch. We know what it takes to do change. And he said, do we? And we said, yeah. And, And he said, what is it? I'll tell another aside to the aside. Whenever I teach a class, I say, okay, we have 60 seconds. What does it take to make change happen? You've got to have a leader. You've got to have a problem. You've got to have a direction. You've got to engage people. You've got to measure it. You've got to build it into systems. And we go, got it. You know 80%. Yeah. So when we looked at the logic and the research on change, we discovered seven factors. There could be eight. There could be six. Mike Beard, Harvard has five. Some John Cotter has six. These are the things we know. Here they are really quick. You've got to have a leader. You got to have a need to change. Why are we changing? What's the need? You got to have a direction. You got to have a goal. Mm -hmm. You got to engage people. You got to get buy in. You got to turn it into decision making. What are we going to do day to day because of the change? You got to have systems and practices to sustain it. That's staffing. That's acquisition of talent. We're going to change. We got to hire new people. We got to train new people. You got to build systems and you got to measure it. And you go, duh. Almost everybody (laughs) knows that. And so Mr. Welch said, in fact, it was embarrassing with him. He said, why did I pay you all this money to go discover <laughs> that? And he said to us three questions that are really interesting. One, are your seven items right? And we said, they're close enough. If you're in an organization as a change agent or consultant and you have six instead of seven or eight or 10 real change leaders, I don't care about that. Number two, he said, how well do we do that at General Electric? And we said, not very well. Number three, how do you turn what we know into what we do? That's the discipline. And the metaphor is so helpful. Yeah. It's a pilot's checklist. If I get on an airplane and fly and the doors open, it wouldn't be, but assume the doors open and the pilot and co-pilot are talking. They say, check the rudder because it's on the checklist. And the pilot says, where is that? (laughs) I'm off the plane. I don't want there to be new knowledge in the checklist, but I want there to be a discipline. Or if they say, gee, we're running behind. Let's not do the checklist today. Let's go. No. that's And I know people get mad. That's too simplistic. But turn what we know into what we do with discipline. We know how to lose weight. I'm a good example of not knowing. I knowing, but not doing. I know to eat healthy, less, eat right, exercise more. And I still don't do it very well. That's the challenge that I think we often face in the change field. Don't discover a new way to change. Discover the discipline to make it real.
especially who are uh, getting that discipline and making sure that they are reflecting to their actions, they win, right? So they see successful results at the end. Absolutely. We talk about ideas with impact. For decades, mm -hmm. I focused on the ideas. Now I'm focused more on the impact. How do you make the idea happen? We know that we need to hire people who have better collaborative skills. Okay, that's one. That's on every list. It's been on every list forever. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that happens? How do we screen people, source them? How do we orient them? And and I think that no do gap just continues in 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 at least in my personal life. That's my my weight loss challenge. Uh, relationships. I've been married for a long time. Families are part of my identity. I know how to build a relationship with my spouse, but I still make mistakes. How do I turn what I know into what I do? Yes. Yeah. Part of the life and learning curve, yeah. of course, uh, that continue. And time is flying so fast. I, I, I mean, I can listen to you <laughs> for hours. So before we uh, yes. wrap up, I'm going to ask sure. you a question. You've had sure. some incredible participants on this Uplift People broadcast and podcast. What are a couple of ideas over the last number of years you've done this now for three years? What are a couple of ideas that you go, wow, that was just really helpful? Or what's an idea you go, we got to pursue this more? I mean, yes. you have great insights. You're in an incredible platform. You think in, in majestic abstraction. Uh, you love uh, diversity. You. What's an insight that stri strikes you or one that you want to dig into more? Definitely people analytics and using that talent analytics power to reflect on business results. Uh, because I all, we work with many different industries as Uplift and uh, we see different HR leaders and different capabilities in each team. Because when I was working as HR in the past, in, I, I was able to see only that company. Now I can see the variety of uh, HR leaders in different industries and different challenges in industry. But I see that there is a definitely a little bit gap to use the talent analytics, people analytics to to reflect on the business results. Nice. Uh, so nice. that's one of the things that I would like to increase awareness, share more insights, and also the real business cases. Because when we use data, in especially in recruitment talent acquisition, uh, I can definitely see that we can create better business value. Nice. And also, I really love the idea of uh, using customers in selecting the right profiles to the companies. I love absolutely love that and i would like to also think about it like how we can help our businesses how help our clients to make that happen so maybe we can do some pilots even like could be very very be exciting great. i'd love to see it let me know post yes, about it can I, I comment on analytics and again sure. i love history that leads to the future yeah i'm going to use two words one is benchmark that's a descriptive analytics what does it mm -hmm. take to do this what have you done what's the benchmark and we love benchmarks we love yeah, visuals and absolutely. graphs. I'm going to jump way ahead. I mean, benchmarks lead to predictive analytics. They lead to best practices. I think what we need in analytics is guidance. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me the benchmark. Guide me to what should be happening. Exactly. And I hope as you pursue analytics, and this is David Green's exceptional work, as we pursue analytics, we're not just trying to describe the world. We're trying to predict the better world. Mm -hmm. And that's these 40 KPIs. Uh, how long does yeah. it take to hire someone? What's our diversity ratio? These are what, how many get 40 hours of training? These are great ideas, but which of those 40 mm -hmm. will give us yeah. guidance to the outcomes we care about? And for me, that makes analytics not just a nice to do. Let's benchmark. Let's find out how much I weigh. How much should I weigh? 
mm-hmm. given my lifestyle and given my predisposition. Anyway, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's yeah. what you just said. You said that beautifully. Yeah, and also be- between metrics and analytics, I think that's the difference. Metrics shows like the past picture, like or take the picture of the current situation. However, analytics is more like forward-looking, like what is the prediction for the future, right? So that helps to guide us. We call that guidance. I mean, where are we headed? What should we be doing? Not what have we done? Well, you and I are on the same. We should do an Americanism (laughs) high five. Uh, (laughs) Yes, like that. Yeah. I would like to ask maybe the final question to you. Um, We always ask all, all of our guest speakers at the end. How can HR leaders effectively communicate this value of um, their efforts in to their stakeholders, C-level business leaders around? Because stakeholder management is really, really key. Uh, and communicating this easily, very openly and very like clear way, simple way is also very, very critical. But maybe what, what is your last maybe suggestion? Uh, uh, I'm going to make it simple. Assume an HR person is doing a presentation to a business team wherever, whatever mm-hmm. level. It could be on talent, it could be on compensation, it could be on training or culture. Where do you start? Don't start with HR, start with the business. Business, yeah. And so you go into the business meeting and say, let me tell you what I know that we are worried about to serve our customers better. We need to reduce costs. We need to be more innovative. We need to build better intimacy. We need to use AI better. This is what our customers or investors want from us. Mm-hmm. I want to present some ideas that may help us make that happen. Yeah. We love to Great. talk about what we do. I do talent acquisition. I, I build profiles. I hire people. I screen people. I source people. No, I build business results. And mm-hmm. I happen to do that through the HR tools. So that would be my counsel. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, thank you. As we close today's insightful episode, I want to mention that uh, your contributions to field of HR and leadership are truly remarkable and very inspiring. They continue to actually inspire lots of people all around the world. Uh, I know very well. Uh, and you have you had very busy schedule. And thanks a lot for your time uh, today. And I'm really grateful uh, that, that you took the time and share your valuable insight today. And really, really thank you for being with us. This has been uplifting for me. That's a word for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Uplifting Global Talent. We hope this episode has provided you with strategic perspective and inspiration to navigate this dynamic world of HR and leadership. And um, also stay tuned for the next engaging episodes with the industry experts. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Until next, next time, stay uplifted. Stay uplifted.